The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are my own or those of my guests, and in no way represent the views of the company or companies that I or we work for. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they are told. It may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Spotless You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast dedicated to the journey and the challenges surrounding the life and career of Aviator Tony, his co-hosts, and his guests. Together, we will explore the many pathways to an aviation profession, the realities of what a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, an airline pilot currently flying for a legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 64 of Squawk Ident, recorded on Friday, December 4th, 2020, from the Aviator Sound Studios from somewhere in Southern California. On today's episode, I and my fellow Squawk Ident crew members sit down with a fascinating airline pilot. He's a flight instructor, a former freight dog, flight school founder, entrepreneur, and dare I say, even a social media influencer. We discuss his amazing journey in aviation his position as a co-founder and director of operations at Icarus Flight Academy, and we explore his growing footprint in the industry. Now that our pre-flight is complete, let's push off the gate, start up the virtual podcast engines, and get ready for takeoff. Well, joining me today to help me kick off today's show is another exceptional aviator. He is a professional CFI MEI flight instructor, a former Embraer 145 airline pilot, a King Air instructor, a Falcon 2000 commander, a captain, and a corporate operator as well. He joins us from his spectacular chateau in San Diego, California, where he is recovering from a heavy flight schedule. Please help me in welcoming back to the show, Captain Roger. Captain, how the heck are you? I'm doing all right, Tony. How are you? Like you said, I've been... I've been really busy the past, I mean, really, what, two or three months um, and the last week and a half over the Thanksgiving holiday. But as of right now, you know, knock on wood, things are looking a little bit lighter for me and I'm looking forward to it. Well, good, good. Uh, I'm kind of in the same boat uh, as a zero time line guy at Legacy Airlines. Uh, I've been fighting for scraps here and there, and uh, I just finished my third sequence in two weeks. Um, had 30 hours off in between each one and it's been it's been kind of busy I don't uh, I don't ever do that to myself but I had no choice here and so I squeezed in almost an entire month's worth of flying in the last two weeks and uh, yeah man today was hard to get started <laughs> I'll tell you what yeah but, I know you're in a little bit of a different situation and you know my heart's out to you and best of luck with that but I'm glad you you have been able to get some flying yeah that's great yeah, and it's been it's been good. Been flying with some great people, and uh, you know we've been dealing with a lot of uh, stressful situations over here at Legacy with the uh, with everything that's happening and the fact that the CARES Act hasn't really gone through. Uh, now I've stopped listening to any of that noise. I I'll believe it when I see it, and uh, you know this industry, the vaccine is really looking like it's going to be potentially what's going to turn around uh, passenger. Uh, confidence in the industry. So, so let's see what happens. You know, I've got right now pretty much 
the entire month of December off, not by choice. <laughs> yeah. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to pick up some scraps here. And uh, But let me tell you, there's sharks in the water. Man, there's sharks in the water. Always. Yeah. Well, also joining us today is another superb Squawk Ident co-host. He is a former international and professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club, an AMP, an avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, a boat skipper, and a commercial drone operator as well. He is currently a 737 pilot for Legacy Airlines, the name we use here on the show as an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. From his fortress of isolation where the second wave has caused mass hysteria and every gun shop in town is got lines around the corner. From <laughs> somewhere in Flower Mound, Texas, please help me and welcome back to the show, Mr. Rob D. Rob, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing really well, Tony. It's good to be back. How you doing? Hi, I'm doing all right, man. How's the flying going? Anything? Uh, not since the uh, Thanksgiving holiday. I uh, did a four-day trip over the holiday and uh, spent um, 30 hours in Raleigh-Durham. So I had the whole day off, and uh, that's where we had some turkey and um, just had a really good crew, good captain. We had a lot in common. I was actually older than him, <laughs> which was weird. Wow. <laughs> I haven't had something like that in a while. Yeah. But um, And that makes me feel really old. So. <laughs> But um, we had a lot in common, and um, so that made it a really cool four-day trip. And uh, I'm I'm just uh, I'm just happy that uh, got to fly with him, and the weather was good. No, no real, nothing happened out of the ordinary. So it was just a good week to fly. Yeah. Well, good. You know, I too had that uh, 30-hour layover over the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, mine, uh, fortunately for me, was at Myrtle Beach. Uh, so I did a quick uh, flight from L.A. to Dallas, uh, swap aircraft after about a two-hour sit, and then we headed on all over to Myrtle Beach, got in at a decent hour, uh, got a run in, uh, got caught in the rain out there. Nice. Uh, so it was nice. Uh, there you go. You know, the the captain and I got together for uh, Thanksgiving dinner. They had a really fancy affair there at the hotel. Um, oh, it was nice. a special kind of thanksgiving meal uh that they had set up for for not just crew members but for people because the the beach was oh. open people were out there you know and cool yeah so yeah everybody was social distancing yeah. wearing masks and doing all the things that we're supposed to be doing uh but yeah it wasn't yeah. crowded but it was definitely uh people out there on the beach having a good time a lot of family out there i guess when you have to get together and you don't want to get together indoors why not yeah. just head on out to the beach and hang out so yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. the, the uh, hotel we were staying at was uh, one of those Hyatt Place hotels. It was really, you know, oh, yeah. nice little quaint places. The uh, there was only twelve crew members there for the uh, for the for Thanksgiving, and so one of the employees just volunteered to, you know, cook us a turkey oh, and all that's the wonderful. all the sides. So that was that was really 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 nice of them, and it and it tasted really good. And so all twelve of us were down there. Um, you know, enjoying a nice little holiday meal together, mm -hmm. which is something we should do as a crew. So that was, that was a good time. Yeah, for sure. Gentlemen, today we have the privilege in speaking with an inspiring young aviator and entrepreneur who has agreed to share his journey in aviation with us. He and I first met a while back while flying together at a regional we call Sandpiper. This was back in 2017. Sandpiper is an alias to his employer, one of the wholly owned subsidiaries to an airline that we hear on the show called Legacy Airlines. He is an Embraer expert, 
is a pilot holding type ratings in the Embraer 120, 145, and 175. He is a co-founder and director of operations at Icarus Flight Academy at both Republic Airport in Farmingdale, New York, and Brookhaven, New York. He joins us from his swinging bachelor pad in Dallas, Texas. Please help me in welcoming back to the show, Captain Kareem. Captain, how you doing? Oh, we're starting now. Okay. I am yeah. fantastic. It's a beautiful uh, December day here in Dallas, Texas, although my bones are starting to hurt. So I guess that's an indication that it's starting to get cold. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it's uh, it's a great day. It's been a fairly easy week and uh, very excited to be here. Thank you for bringing me on and giving me the opportunity to talk about my experience and talk about uh, my background in aviation. Hopefully we can get some younger people motivated and uh, help them navigate this crazy pandemic and uh, keep them on track uh, to uh, hopefully being where we're at here in a few years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's really the whole point of the podcast is we talk about, you know, it started out the journey of Aviator Tony and, and all the struggles and challenges that Aviator Tony had. And then I brought on these wonderful co-hosts that have agreed to uh, let me torture them every week with a podcast episode. And, you know, we get to hear their side of it. Um, having this well-rounded team really has been an honor. And to have you come on and, you know, share your journey with us. I was impressed when I first met you. I've been keeping an eye on you and following you on social media, and I'm still as impressed and even more so today. So thank you again for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So New York City, huh? What was it like growing up in New York City? What was your childhood like? Very tough, I think. Uh, it, it, the running joke is we all drive around with a baseball bat in the back of our trunk, and I, I would say that's uh, uh, a pretty good, uh, I guess, uh, <laughs> metaphor as to, as to how it kind of is. So I would say pretty tough in a very good way, though. You think that maybe yeah. kind of molded your personality to fight for what's, uh, you know, success? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I, uh, as I was growing up, I wasn't the greatest student in the world. Uh, academically, I was a kind-hearted guy, I would say. I, I got along with just about everybody, but I don't think I was the uh, the, the greatest academic. Uh, and that, that isn't because I, I wasn't uh, capable. It was I had my interests set elsewhere. Mm. Uh, I was very, very motivated, very work-driven. I was very much looking forward to graduating and uh, getting into the work world. Uh, that's what keeps me driven in, any, in all aspects, in aviation, outside of aviation. Um, so, uh, yeah, more, that's pretty much essentially what, uh, growing up in New York does to you. It gets you very motivated and very aggressive. It's an acquired taste. I think when, when people, uh, meet for the first time, a genuine New Yorker, especially someone like uh, myself that travels and I meet people from other States, it's very kind of intimidating and they're, they, it catches them by surprise. They're like, oh, wow, they really are kind of, uh, jerks. Uh, but, but in reality, I don't think, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think that's, uh, uh, that's the way I try to, uh, come off. I think it just kind of happens. We're honestly really nice people. I think we're really nice people. But. Yeah. Yeah. And I lived there for, I mean, you could say I lived there. I was there about a year, uh, right there in, uh, Kew Gardens in Queens, um, for my time that I spent there being based there. And I, I got to agree. I mean, New Yorkers are tough people and they have to be, you know, you're, you're, you're in a city, one of the oldest cities in the, in the continental U S and you got to be tough. You're stacked on top of each other. You got to fight for your piece of the pie. And I, I really do think that that does mold some greatness there. And at the end of the day, underneath that kind of what 
is uh, stereotypically thought as a hard shell, uh, usually people go out of their way for you, and they're they're pretty pretty cool when they get to know you. But until they get to know you, look out, get out of my way. <laughs> it, it takes to say I'm walking here, you know. But That's I right. think it's 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 really interesting to to uh, when you look at New Yorkers as a whole, it usually takes a tragedy or usually takes something of great significance uh, for people to really see how kind-hearted New Yorkers are and. Uh, it's really, I mean, 9-11 is a great example. Even this uh, COVID pandemic, people just come together as if they're family. Uh, yeah. When you see something crazy happen on a subway, somebody gets attacked, somebody uh, falls ill on a subway, it seems like everybody just jumps in. And, and it's it's really quite magical to see. And it, and it reminds you, it's like, OK, that's what really New York is about. And that's what New Yorkers are about. Yeah. Cool. And, and to uh, borrow a, a very uh, I think fitting phrase from Spike Lee, you know, you just, New Yorkers know they got to do the right thing. That's right. You know? So what, what sparked your journey in aviation? What was that moment for you? Uh, it's actually a really funny story. I was, I would say about, I've always had an interest in flying. I always enjoyed, uh, traveling with the family and staring out the window on airplanes. Uh, now I kind of like the aisle seat now that I'm in the profession, the aisle seat's nice. Cause you can just get up and <laughs> go use the bathroom without bothering people. But uh, at the age of 10, uh, it was my 10th birthday. My aunt walks in with this huge box and it was wrapped up by tear it open and it was a karaoke machine. And I'm not much of a singer, uh, maybe in the shower, but not so much of a, of a singer. And it came with a gift receipt uh, and I, I felt terrible, but I went to Best Buy, returned the karaoke machine and bought Microsoft Flight Simulator. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it all started with the karaoke machine. Um, and I always joke, I said, I don't know where I'd be right now. Who knows? I might be more successful or maybe nowhere at all, but, uh, it all started essentially with that karaoke machine at the age of 10. Wow. So yeah. So you get this karaoke machine and you're like, ah. I was gonna say, it reminds me of a joke, you know, when, when you're singing and you're horrible and your buddy goes, Hey man, what'd you do with all the money? <laughs> you're like, I went. Take, took flying lessons. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. And then go. from there, there from there, it was just, uh, an ongoing battle to persuade the family, uh, mom and dad, that that this is a serious thing. I, I would run home from school with my two best friends, and we would just spend hours on our, on our computer on flight simulator. And it wasn't until about the age of thirteen that the the folks started realizing, okay, well, this is. I guess he's serious about this. Um, and I met a lot of great mentors a lot along the way, professional pilots, air traffic controllers, you name it, and uh, started taking flight lessons at the age of thirteen, and and just full speed ahead from there. Yeah. Wow. And, and was the flight lesson that you were taking, were they a part 61 course where it was kind of self-paced or were you like all in with a 141? It was uh, even better. I didn't, I didn't touch 141 until I was a flight instructor and, and t started teaching students. Then I entered the 141 world. I did 61 the whole way. I'm a huge supporter of 61. I think it's great to go at your own pace if you have that luxury and you have the time. My first flight lesson and my first flight instructor was just this uh, independent guy. He owned his own airplane. He did something else uh, professionally. And on the weekends, he would flight instruct. And I thought that was the best. I thought that was the greatest type because you really get this one-on-one. -on -one. And this was an older gentleman. He, uh, again, this was just his hobby. So he really did give it his 100%. And he was very motivated to uh, make sure I had the best education possible. I mean, we were just phasing out, or not quite, but NDBs were just being phased out. And he was like, nope, I'm teaching you the old-fashioned way. And I'm grateful. Um, 
that uh, we did that because later on in my career, I became a cargo pilot and I was based in the Caribbean and NDBs and ADFs and so on and so forth were still in use. And uh, the aircraft I, I would fly were very uh, unautomated and uh, we, we barely, it was just bare bones. So it was actually a really good experience. And looking back at that, uh, it's, it's the little things that, that really make it matter. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna try to get into detail with your time there as a freight yeah. dog. Uh, you do share that in common with uh, our very own Captain Roger here. Uh, but let's let's move forward just a little bit and talk about your high school experience. Now, you went to a high school that is very unique in the country and is dedicated for young men and women to study aviation exclusively. Can you tell me a little bit about Aviation High School in Queens? Sure, sure. Uh, in my opinion, aviation high school, really any technical high school is the best type, uh, especially for younger people where it's very easy to become unmotivated with the education system, especially in New York City. Um, and I lived really, really far. It was about a three-hour commute round trip for me going to aviation high school on the train. And uh, my zone school was uh, much closer to home. I had a very hard time getting into aviation high school. I didn't quite have the grades, and I also looked very, very far. Uh, so with the New York spirit and fighting attitude, I uh, uh, went over to aviation high school probably close to a dozen times before I even graduated middle school. And I just bombarded the director of admissions, the deans, the principal, everybody. And it was uh, just a constant uh, they, they would see me probably twice a month and I would go there begging them to let me into the school. Um, and aviation high school is a maintenance school. It's a four to five year high school. The fifth year you get your second license and you get your airframe power plant licenses over there, which is, it costs you 50 to 80 grand to do on your own, uh, in college or at, uh, uh some aviation maintenance school. And my, mindset and logic at the time was, okay, well, they don't teach you how to fly. I'll do that on my own, but it'll teach me how to fix airplanes and it'll teach me, um, it'll make me a, a more well-rounded aviator. Um, so yeah, fortunately I was accepted. All that, uh, bombarding, uh, paid off and, uh, I started aviation high school and it was, uh, after the first year I realized this is going to be a really tough, tough, uh, adventure because I would, leave the house uh, around five o'clock in the morning. And during the winter time, you wouldn't even see sunlight. And I would leave school at 4.15 at the earliest, not including extracurriculars. Wow. And I would, I would be home and the sun would still be down. So it's like, I never saw sunlight. I felt like I was in Alaska. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Full time. And you know, Kareem, I remember the first time we flew together. And I think actually it was the one and only time we flew together. Um, what can you tell me? Do you remember about that? I don't remember much. Um, I remember you, and I think I actually might have accidentally uh, rubbed shoulders with you at JFK uh, after the fact. Um, I don't remember much about that, uh, but uh, I remember you, and I remember it was pleasant, and that's why I'm here, and that's what matters, I guess. Yeah, yeah, we flew together. I was, uh, I think I was a new captain, like brand new captain, and and you were a new first officer, and together. We're like, okay. And uh, I believe that was in New York. Um, and I was, you know, confident and ready to go, but New York was kind of new to me. I had flown in there plenty of times as a first officer, but now being in command of an aircraft and having a new hire next to me, it was intimidating. And I do remember that what impressed me was you were so young and your level of professionalism. Uh, how you spoke, how you dressed the part, uh, your uniform was 
you know, tip top, uh, which is sometimes a rarity with uh, newer aviators. Um, and you were telling me a little bit about how when you were somewhere around high school, you volunteered to be a New York police officer auxiliary uh, officer as and the commonality that we shared was my my younger sister did the very same thing here in California. Um, and, and so I was really impressed how young you were to do that. What sparked that interest? Um, I, I really enjoy the volunteer stuff. Anything that has to do with volunteering, also law enforcement. I'm a huge supporter of law enforcement. That was always my backup to aviation, I would say. But really, that specific move to sign up and to go to training and to actually do it uh, came from very also kind of a funny story. My best friend and I, who's a brilliant, brilliant kid, he's a Harvard grad, also a pilot, helicopter pilot, uh, fixed wing flight instructor, you name it. Very smart kid. Um, him and I were watching the movie Let's Be Cops uh, in, in theaters. <laughs> and uh, we just we, we thought it was the greatest thing ever. So the very next day, we signed up. Uh, we went over for our interviews and it's very hard when you're young, especially we were just at the age cutoff and they've actually changed it and they've made it more competitive and increased the age restrictions because of how dangerous it's starting to become. But we walked in there for the interview and we had this big macho, scary looking, uh, police officer that was in charge of everything. And, uh, he was like, well, what makes you qualified? And anyway, we started talking about our, us and uh, I was a private pilot instrument at the time. And uh, so was Will. And he lost his mind. He went into his wallet. He pulled out a pilot's medical from before I was even born. I mean, the thing was brown. And he said, I was taking flight lessons back then. And sure enough, his instructor at the time was my examiner over the oh, years. Wow. And we just world. connected. It's a very small world. And he, he never pursued aviation as a career. He really wanted to. So over the years of us being with the NYPD, I eventually became his flight instructor, signed him off for his first private, and he retired from the NYPD. And now he's trying to turn this into a career. So you just never know how, how, uh, what life throws at you. Yeah. Yeah. You have to pay attention and seize those moments when, when you see them. And yeah, absolutely. What a great story about a small world of aviation. You know, and somewhere around 2012, you joined the Civil Air Patrol. What did the Civil Air Patrol give you, and what did you give to the Civil Air Patrol? So CAP was short-lived because I was uh, actively working on flying and taking flight lessons. Um, I was also in the JROTC in my high school, again, kind of the uh, uh, service uh, before self and just volunteering. But really, CAP was uh, me exploring the military option. I, I was really kind of considering joining the military as an air traffic controller, not even as a pilot, and then eventually started shifting my my attention to maybe becoming a helicopter pilot in the Army and um so on and so forth. And that was just a really good experience for me to just get a little bit of a taste of uh, how things could be putting on the uniform every day, dressing sharp. And you, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned that earlier about uh, the first time you met me and, and uh, just the image you portray and, and, the, and the way you present yourself and the uniform and all that. And that's kind of where a lot of that came from. Um, it's really important, especially when you're young to portray yourself appropriately to uh, uh, fit the part so that uh, your passengers and your coworkers are confident in your abilities and are confident in you um, as a professional. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I think uh, 
I don't know if I've ever shared this story. Um, you've reminded me of this, and and Rob and Roger, uh, feel free to jump in on this. I, I believe perception in this career field is close to everything. Um, you know, we we people really don't understand. You know, the, the the typical passenger, the typical person who buys an airline ticket, doesn't really understand the complexities of our profession. And they think we push a button to take off and push a button to land. Oh, the planes fly themselves, right? Like those Teslas? No. Um, And so, and add on top of that, what we're required to know knowledge-wise, to be able to speak all those different types of languages, be it communication with ATC, regulations, aircraft operations and systems, uh, to, you know, charts and IFR flight planning and weather reading the weather charts. It's a lot of information. So to show up prepared, clean, pressed, shoes polished, um, I think it's extremely important. I've been asked that question on interviews. I was asked that question when I uh, was interviewing to become a check airman as my short time that I was doing that job. Um, the, the, the person who was given the interview said, you know, what do you think of the uniform? How important is it? It's extremely important. And to be here at this level, whether that's flying a a small piston-powered airplane around for Part 91 operator to flying a a million-dollar corporate jet to flying in an airline, you know, it's all crucial that we kind of portray this particular standard of how we come across. And it reminds me of a story that uh, a captain once told me that he was giving IOE to a student and the student showed up and he came early and he says, hey, well, while you're here, let's, uh, let's do a little Chicago O'Hare review so that when we get in the airplane, you can kind of follow along on your first day. And the student was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. And so while the check airman was talking to him, he pulls out his phone and he's answering a text message. And so the check airman stops and he's like, I'll wait. And, oh, sorry, sorry. So <laughs> the student puts away the phone and now he's giving him more. Okay, so we're going to talk to here. We're going to talk to ramp and here's the, the taxi route we're going to take. So that way you can follow along and stuff like that. And another text message comes down and, <laughs> and the student picks up his phone and he's looking at his phone and the check airman goes, you know what? F you. And he walks out of the crew room. And the senior FO that was flying with the Czech airman, because this was an observation, uh, tells the, the student, okay, dude, just get your stuff. Let's go to the airplane. We'll go do a walk around. <laughs> so they go do the walk around. And this, this poor guy is like now kind of like, oh, crap, I screwed up. I'm going to get fired. He's sitting on the jet bridge. The captain shows up intentionally like 10 minutes prior to departure with a coffee in his hand, gets in the cockpit, gets everything set up. His, the FO he was flying with had it all set up for him. Everybody's boarded up. and this new hire sticks his head meekly into the cockpit and says, are, are you, is it cool that he goes, turns around, he goes, I don't know. Is it cool? Am I going to see that damn phone again during this trip? He's like, no, no, you won't. He goes, I better not. So they flew together and he says, you know what? By the second day, this guy was on it. He was, he was studying. He was really well-prepared. I thought I got through to him. I actually thought, you know what? This is just a little kick in the pants he needed. I got through to him. He's going to be professional. Well, a month later, he's walking down the terminal, uh, terminal G in, in, uh, 
in Chicago, and he sees this kid <laughs> walking towards him. His shirt's untucked, his uh, his collar's open, the tie's all loose, his his pants look like crap. He doesn't have the jacket on, and he walks right up to him. <laughs> he just reads in the riot act, and he's like, "I should write you up right now," you know. And it was all one of those things where he just didn't really respect the uniform. And so to, to come across and meet somebody, especially somebody young that's in the industry, that's, this is their first airline job. It's really nice to see when someone comes prepared and how important it is to keep that standard and and you get it. Yeah. If you look at it, even like in today's world, like right now with the pandemic and everything that's going on, you know, if we walk up to the airplane without a mask or half-assing it with a mask. I mean, how much confidence does that give the traveling public? I mean, just those little things, like you said, just the way you wear your uniform, wear your mask, you know, not looking at your phone when you're being briefed or whatever, something like that. I mean, those little things go a long way. Yeah. And the worst is when they're deplaning and you're in the cockpit or on the jet bridge and the passengers are walking by and they're saying, thank you, thank you. And you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, no way. Yeah. Well, I put it down. I say thank you to everybody. Well, <laughs> it's all it's all part of the job that's actually part yeah. it should be a, a job description because it's yeah. all part of the job and it's important to dress properly in anything in in any aspect of your life um unless you're sitting at home wearing penguin pajamas like i was uh not very long ago <laughs> well played, uh, well played. Doors. but otherwise <laughs> it's important to to dress professionally I, I i'm a skinny guy i'm a very skinny guy it's very difficult to keep my shirt tucked in and looking sharp and professional. The solution to that for all you future young aviators are they're called slingshots. They're like $5. <laughs> you attach them to your sock, you attach them to the bottom of your shirt and it keeps it nice and straight forever. Yep. And I've been doing that since high school and they're great <laughs> and they're cheap and you'll look like a million dollars every time. Yeah. I, I have uh, quite a few uh, different varieties of that in my drawer yep. too. Yeah. Um, right. uh, unfortunately I'm no problem. longer skinny. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've got a nice little like indentation around my waist. Everything kind of just sets in. (laughs) It's really funny. I'll look at photos over the years, right, of of how I used to dress, even when I would be in a suit or whatever at a a very young age. And I look and you can see the progression. You can say, okay, well, that's around the year I started getting things tailored. And that's the year that I started wearing slingshots. And that's That's the year that I started... So it's it's really important. It's an ongoing uh, challenge, and it's it's good to get with the times and to always look your very best. That's the only way your people are going to take you seriously, especially if you're young. Yeah, and yep. you open up the door for opportunity when yep. when you're doing that. Um, I Big can time. I can tell you stories on how walking through the terminal, I've been stopped by little old ladies because when I was uh, you know captain in in New York City, uh, I would always wear the hat, and they'd st- and people looked at me like oh, you're you've got uh, two of the three, uh, you know, and I'm like two of the three, what are you talking about? I had an FO tell me one time you got salt and pepper hair. That's strike one. You wear the hat. That's strike two. The only thing you don't have, is a mustache. That's strike three. And I'm like, well, what happened if I was three? He goes, then you'd be an asshole. <laughs> and I, and so what did I do a month later? I had a mustache for a while, <laughs> but I always wore the hat and I can't tell you how many times you know, I got stopped by a little lady going, oh, you look so sharp, Captain. You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah thank yeah. you, ma'am. I appreciate that. And that little <laughs> tiny interaction, yeah, that meant the world to me just to be recognized for that. So, yeah. But let's get back to you. After high school, you went on. Uh, what happened after that? Was there some uh, aeronautics training going on or, or what happened? 
So six days after high school, after graduating, I mean, I was so ready to get out of there. I didn't even attend my high school graduation. That's the biggest, one of my biggest regrets because my mother was upset. She said, I practically gave birth to you to watch you walk across that stage and you weren't there. Oh. <laughs> it was a terrible, big regret. Go to your graduations, kids. It's important. Uh, and I graduated six days later. I was back in flight school working on my flight instructor ratings and uh and everything else all three of them mei cfi cfii and just a very short five maybe six months later i had everything done all the ratings done um that following monday i can't remember what day i finished my ratings all i remember is the following monday i had my very first job as a flight instructor at one of the largest 141 flight school in new york in farmingdale um and it was just uh hustle 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 build flight time um, I was very, very young and I was very, very motivated and very driven. I wasn't even old enough to move on and go to the airlines. So my sole purpose at the time was to just do a really good job as a flight instructor. So that's what really kept me motivated. Instructors, you know, they build their time, they get close to a thousand or 1500 or wherever they qualify and they get very lazy towards the end. Um, in my case, I didn't quite have that because I knew that this was the only thing I could do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, you played it correctly uh, because you built your time relatively quickly. And as you mentioned, you were a little too young to go to the airlines. So you chose a different path, yeah. at least different from those that go to an aviation college and then an aviation flight school and then right into an airline. At least that's the goal for most people. But you didn't have that as an option. And you went to fly cargo. What? How did that transition happen, and, and what made you decide to take that leap? Um, I, I was ready to move on. I was ready to do something other than instructing that paid a little more. It was At the time, it was pretty tough, uh, especially for that year, making $15 an hour, commuting from all the way from the city limits to Long Island and gas and so on and so forth. It was just becoming a very tough thing. So I knew I had to make a change, and I had to go on and build my experience elsewhere. So, um, an opportunity came up for me to go fly cargo. Uh, I was hired as a first officer on the Embraer 120, which was very cool for me at that age and, uh, that experience level. Uh, I was hired as a Miami pilot and in Indoc while I was in training, I found out from an external source that my airline had shut down the Miami base. Mm. Um, and that was that was a smack in the face. I said, oh, well, I'm screwed now. What am I going to do? And um, I walked into the chief pilot's office. I asked him, I said, is this true? He said, yes. He says, but I'll give you the option to go to any base you want in the system. And he recommended that I go to Puerto Rico. Um, being very young and naive and uneducated, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to Puerto Rico. I'll go anywhere but Puerto Rico. And uh, sure enough, I go home or I go back to the hotel. I consult with my mentors and they said, go to Puerto Rico. If it means more flight time, quicker upgrade, go. So I did. Uh, I went down to Puerto Rico at uh, the ripe old age of 19 um, and uh, didn't have a car, didn't have anything. It was a total culture shock. And on that side of the island in Aguadilla, people spoke very little English and I didn't speak a lick of Spanish. Um, so it was uh, a really, it was a unique experience. The first week was brutal in terms of a culture shock. Past that, it was just status quo. I flew all over the Caribbean, parts of South America. I saw that whole part of the world. So it was truly a, a very unique experience. I got experience in icing with big turboprops. The Ember 120 is a, a legend, I would say, in the aviation industry. And anyone that had the chance to fly it understands why. 
um, icing conditions. I mean, hazmat, live animals, you name it, uh, extended over water operations. It was just really, really, really a good experience. Do you, do you mind if we mention who you flew for? Sure. Sure. Uh, Ameriflight. And, okay. uh, I think they're a great, great company. Yeah. So you have this commonality with our own Captain Roger. Captain Roger formerly flew for a company that you share in common, which is Ameriflight. Now, Very if cool. anyone that's listened to the podcast, if they go back to episode nine, that was the first time I believe Roger and I collaborated and did a show together. And we all talk about his journey and how he survived a very traumatic experience at Ameriflight. Roger is the pilot who survived the bird strike over Sholo. And uh, Roger, uh, what do you, you for flying the 1900, correct? I was flying the Beach 99. Oh, Beach 99. Am I, uh, I guess my first question, am I still part of the Ameriflight training program over there for that? Uh, I don't know. I don't recall. I, I recall seeing photos, but I don't, I don't recall if it was in training. It's apparently I've had some people that have <laughs> co- gone through training and it said, Oh yeah, that, that, that shows up in the training program, which I wasn't ever really sure for what, I mean, you don't really put an incident like that in any training manuals, but, um, I, I've, I kind of feel honored, I guess, <laughs> but most people who have flown in Ameriflight since then have, have heard of me. I'm the guy. He's the guy. And if you want to go back and listen, that was episode nine of Squawk Ident, uh, where Roger... It's a, it's or no, a good, episode eight. I'm sorry. Episode eight of Squawk Ident, where Roger uh, talks about his journey. Um, and Rob, crazy, I'm sorry, man. what were you saying? You got, no, I was going to say, you got to listen to it, Kareem. It's crazy, his story. It's amazing. Yeah, I had no idea that was you. That's, I guess, uh, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. Very lucky to be alive. Very, very We're lucky. very lucky to have Roger with us. Um, and, and it's so cool that, you know, you guys kind of share that time together. And I got to say, and I, I texted Roger when I saw this, there are YouTubers out there that have been posting videos of, you know, them being in a Cessna and hitting a bird. I did see that. And they use for their, their cover shot a picture of Roger's aircraft. I'm like, wait a Yours minute. Truly. What? Why are, you, why are you bogarting my buddy's uh, Killing <laughs> my thunder. I know. So yeah. if you're if you're a, a YouTuber or a social media developer and you decide to post a video of a bird strike, that's great. Use your own damn <laughs> cover <laughs> shot. Don't use Rogers, you know, uh, just to be more dramatic. Uh, but yeah, so so your time at Ameriflight was relatively short, wasn't it? About a year. Yeah, uh, it was about a year. And uh, that is because I had the opportunity to go do something else uh, after the fact. And that is the flight school. Um, and, uh, I started the flight school while I was still at Ameriflight. I was commuting weekly between Aguadilla, Puerto Rico and uh, New York. And it was very challenging because I would fly Monday through Friday at the airline. Uh, Friday night, I would head home for two hours, change, repack, and then head back to the airport to start a, uh, what, what sometimes would be a 13 to 16 hour commute because I would have to three leg it. Uh, we didn't have the appropriate reciprocal agreements at the time. So it was very tough. Yeah. And, um, as the flight school started to grow and as things started to, uh, to progress, I, it was time to make it end and pick one or the other. Yeah. And, and tell yeah. us, how does someone start a flight school? I mean, I have a little bit of experience in that. Uh, and I chose not to, because I felt for myself, the risk was too high because I was going in really with a partner, but 
the financial burden was going to fall all on me. And as a, a flight instructor, I just couldn't do it. How did you start it? Uh, really good story. I recently, we put out a, a video on, uh, on my YouTube channel. It's uh, the Kareem Shaheen and um, explaining kind of how that process happened because a lot of people have that question. And in the aviation industry, it's very difficult to uh, A, start a flight school and B, make sure it succeeds. Um, I had a former student of mine, a former client, and he was much older than I was. He calls me out of the blue. He says, hey, can you meet me up in New York? I want to talk to you about an opportunity. I fly up to New York. There was a 1970, 1987 uh, Cessna 172 waiting for us. And he said, oh, I just bought this airplane. We flew over to, um, I think it was Oxford, Connecticut. We had a lunch flight. And he said, uh, I want to start a flight school and I want to do it with you. You seem to know everybody at the airport. You seem to have the experience. I know you're young, but you're very driven, and I've always expressed that I was interested in business when I was when I was this flight instructor. Uh, so that was kind of the the gist of it, and and how we uh, we did that. We would meet in between my my Amer flight job and uh, and my days off, and we essentially created a list. We compiled a list of the things we didn't like about other flight schools uh, from Image. One of the biggest things that really annoyed me was customer service at flight schools because there was a pilot shortage and flight schools. Uh, I guess because there was a pilot shortage and there was very high demand for pilots and a lot of these schools were pilot mills, they didn't believe in customer service. You'd go in there and you'd feel like you were an employee rather yeah. than a customer. And I had a big problem with that. I didn't believe that any customer, if you're paying money, you should you should be treated very nicely, not just fair, but very nice. Uh, so that was one of the things that we wanted to change. Uh, also image, we talk about image all the time and we wanted to, uh, give off this very luxurious, very clean, very modern high-end flight school. So the comparison, when people come into our office for the first time, they say, wow, this is like an Apple store. And that was, uh, another goal. And, um, in business, you've got to have one of three things. If you wanted to succeed, you've got to be the first, you've got to be the most unique, or you've got to be the cheapest. And we were Certainly not the first to open a school. We're not going to be the cheapest, but we were going to be the most unique. And that's, uh, that's how we did it. Yeah. And it's really inspiring to hear that you were able to kind of flip this into such a successful, uh, business really. Um, how did that take a lot of time out of your flying? It took a lot of time, and that's ultimately why I had to quit uh, flying for Ameriflight. At one point at the beginning stages when we were a smaller school with a limited fleet, limited, but we didn't quite have the name, uh, I was the instructor. I was the director of operations. I was the chief flight instructor. I was everybody. And it was brutal because I was flying 120 hours a month, 100 hours a month, and shuffling the office work. And, and that tends to be a hard thing. But again, if you want a business to succeed at the beginning, it's it's very difficult. It's very tough. But everybody's capable of it. Anybody with a, a great brain or just a, a, just a functioning brain is capable of doing the same thing I did. You just have to push forward. We, I had obstacles. I mean, because I was young, we had competitors that were very envious and very upset that uh, it was myself and my partner involved. And we dealt with threats. We dealt with fire. We dealt with just a lot of nonsense. Um, and it was, it, it truly was a very difficult thing to, uh, to navigate, but you learn to deal with it. You learn to live with it and, um, you learn to be tough. And as long as you come off as tough and you come off as, Hey, you can't bully me around, uh, you tend to do pretty well. Um, and then from there, 
uh, you could only make so much money off of a flight school, but it's very difficult to make a flight school profitable. So we said, okay, well, we have to do a few things different. Uh, number one, we have to keep evolving and keep uh, progressing and becoming unique. So we eventually started painting our aircraft the same color. We incorporated a call sign that the uh, that I negotiated with the air traffic control facilities that were nearby. So we have a call sign agreement. Um, and then from there, we opened up the maintenance shop and the avionics shop, and we just expanded from there. We partnered up with uh, Avidine. We do uh, all of that. And that's truly why the school continues to succeed even during this pandemic. Yeah. And are you seeing uh, an influx of student pilots? I've, I've spoken with a few flight schools here in Southern California, and they indicated to me that they're actually increasing their their flight operations because yeah. a lot of the students that were going to an aviation college, taking classes, taking a few lessons here and there, since their college uh, classes are now mostly online, their schedules have opened up and they're, they're really taking to the skies of GA mm -hmm. uh, much more. Are you seeing that as well? Absolutely. At the beginning stages of the pandemic, we saw a little bit of a decrease and then it just started going up. And um, I think the reasons are exactly what you just said. But in addition to that, people have a lot of free time on their hands and people are like, OK, well, I have to make a change. I have to make a career change and I've always wanted to fly. So this is the time to do it. This is the time to do it. And I, I, I think that's why it's it's picking up a little bit. So it's, it's kind of funny. You'd expect it to go down, but it, it actually did the opposite. Yeah. And I've flown with a few pilots out on the flight line. And, you know, when you've been a, an airline pilot at a legacy carrier for the last 20, 25 years, unless on the side you're, you're still involved in GA or still involved with something else, you have a tendency to kind of lose sight of the evolving nature of our industry. And I can't tell you how many times I fly with pilots and they're like, oh, I'm not letting my kids get into aviation. Forget it. They're just, they're, there's going to be a, a pilot and a dog in the cockpit in the future. And the dog's just going to be there to bite the hand of the pilot that does the wrong thing. And the, and the pilot's there to just to, <laughs> to keep the dog from peeing on the carpet. You know, it's like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> what are you saying? This is a great time to get into aviation because now that there's this lull that is temporary, we all agree it's a temporary lull. Now's the time to get in there, get your flight training, get your, get your hours up so that when the hiring begins, the goal of any seniority-based industry is to get in, like you said, in business, First, get in at the, at the beginning of the hiring boom. I was fortunate enough to get in in the beginning of the hiring boom, thanks to Rob, really, who was like, hey, man, come on over to Sandpiper because we're going to be hiring. I think it was 600 in, in 06 or, or 700 in 07. That's what it was. So I got on in December of 06, and I was the first class to have more than like 10 people in it. I had 47 people in our class. They had to borrow chairs and tables from other classrooms uh, at Sandpiper. And because of that, my career has been very successful. I didn't sit reserve, but a few months when I first started out, I upgraded in a relatively fast pace compared to what it was years earlier. And it was because I was fortunate enough to get in at the beginning of that hiring boom. And I think you have to look at that and go back and go, okay, how am I going to time this correctly? How am I going to get my foot in the door at the right place at the right time with the right company? And I think it all starts of deciding to fly when it's not very popular to do so because the industry is in a cyclical downturn, which obviously we are. Yeah. We're in the most destructive aviation uh, downturn since 1970s, yeah. um, since deregulation. So yeah, I 
I got my private September 9th, 2001. <laughs> that says anything. <laughs> it's so, sometimes it's good to go against the tide. I think yeah. probably every major thing I've done in my life has been against the advice of others. Um, not, that's not because I'm a rebellious person, but it's because you got to trust your gut. Um, uh, one of those things was becoming a pilot first and foremost at the time, nobody wanted to be a pilot. I would go to LaGuardia airport and meet up with these regional pilots and they'd say, don't do it. Go be a doctor, go be a lawyer, go do something else. Um, choosing the airline that I'm currently at right now at the time, uh, the pay wasn't great when I was uh, first applying, people didn't really want to be there. The upgrade times were a little high, but I saw the future. I was looking at the facts. I was looking at how things were changing. And I said, no, I'm going to go there. And I'm glad I went there when I did, because uh, my timing has been superb and I'm in great shape right now because of it. Um, starting a flight school, I can't tell. I think even my folks, everybody said, don't do it. They said, don't start a flight school. It's a very risky thing to do. They never succeed. They never win. You'll be out of business within a year. I had people that owned flight schools telling me this. Um, but I truly believe that if I stick to my gut and I stick to the plan, and I, I discussed the plan earlier, then we would be just fine. So uh, don't be discouraged because other people tell you it's not going to work in any aspect of life. Uh, sometimes people's information, the information's outdated, they're uneducated, they're envious, they just don't know and they think they know. Um, and, and age doesn't necessarily dictate that either. So just trust your gut, do what you think is right. If it's on paper, it's kind of like math. Math doesn't lie. If it's on paper and it makes sense, just do it. Yeah. If you're, if you're truly dedicated, you won't let a few people to dissuade you from doing it, do it. Um, I have, we, I think we've told this story in a previous episode where, you know, I had a, a, a supervisor in my previous career, who was trying to become a manager and he, he interviewed and didn't get it. And he was just completely deflated. And I said, well, if that's all it took for you to be deflated, then they made a good decision when they didn't hire you. Because if you really truly wanted it, you wouldn't let one no stop you. And I think that, like you said, it, it holds true for every industry, for every career, for every passion, for every art, for every sport, you know, don't let a defeat define you. And who was it that said, you got to, you get hit, you get knocked down and you got to keep on getting up and keep on hitting. I think that was Rocky Balboa. So that's just a I think I said the same thing once or twice too. So <laughs> I'll, sure I'll take did. credit for it. I'll take credit. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, so how did that transition work? You were, you were head, you know, first into this business and yet you still found the time and the opportunity to gain employment at Sandpiper, the, the company name that we use, the alias that we use here on the show to obviously protect you, protect us and, and everyone else because we don't represent those companies as the disclaimer at the, at the beginning of the podcast indicates. But So we use Sandpiper as an alias for those that may be thinking, what? From Wings? Yeah, from Wings. Um, how did you progress <laughs> into getting a job there? Did you just apply one day and said, yeah, it's time? I applied at uh, two airlines at the time. And it was uh, at that point, the two airlines were very, very similar. They were both subsidiaries. And um, the decision was essentially who's going to get me in first and where am I going to be based? And I obviously wanted to be based in New York because that's where the school was. That's where I lived at the time. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how that happened. I was still doing the flight school 
but the school started becoming self-sustained at the time. We brought on instructors, my business partner uh, had it figured out. So I was in a position where I was able to move on, do something else. Um, I, at the time, I didn't quite want to go to the airlines anymore. I think I had my, my headset on business and just developing and, and just going from there. Uh, but I had a friend that was at Sandpiper and is now uh, at a legacy carrier. And uh, he said, if you don't do it now, you're going to regret it. And he was absolutely right. The, the timing couldn't have been any better. Um, and had I waited even two months, I'd be in a totally different position now. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Roger, how are you doing on time? I'm doing all right. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm a, I mean, I'll probably be going here in 20 minutes. Oh, okay. So you got some time. Okay. I got, I got some time. Well, I got, this is the, so this is the portion of the interview that I like to ask a couple questions. They're not like quick response questions. They're just trying to kind of get your expertise on some of the questions that are often brought to me and often brought to, to all of us here through our listeners, um, either from our website or through emails or social media. Can, or- can I just interject here? For, for for one second and and you can feel free to cut this out but i'm i'm a little on behalf of myself i'm a little concerned for some of our listeners because i'm feeling pretty insignificant right now um compared to to kareem i'm i'm blown away i'm you know and, and captain tony you know you always have excellent guests and i'm sure that you choose these people for this reason however i have to i i have to admit to to the rest of our listeners out there like myself if if myself and rob and and captain rob can do it anybody can do it you, yeah. you do not need to take a train by yourself across long island to get to go to school or or join the civil air patrol or or join all these things and wear suits at such a young age um, you, if you pick one or two of those things, that's great. Kareem here is an exceptional <laughs> young man and an exceptional aviator. Unbelievable. However, I cannot Absolutely. stress enough that for the rest of us mere mortal people, like specifically myself and Captain Rob, that, uh, that anybody can do it. And I don't want any of us to scare anybody out there away who's thinking about <laughs> having a career in the airlines and being shied away because of the, um, quite frankly, I'm blown away, Kareem, by um, the, totally. the fortitude of everything that you've been able to do. But uh, for our younger listeners, <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is this is a great <laughs> career, and it is possible to do it with, with without um, without going through the the enormous um, self control and and self sacrifice that that uh, our man Kareem has has obviously done. And my hats off to you. In all sincerity, my hats off to you, Roger. I don't think that. that's true. I don't think that's true at all. I think you beat me because you had that bird strike and you're on other people's YouTube videos. So <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that, that extraordinary. Wrong place, <laughs> wrong, wrong time is pretty much all I can say for mine. I didn't have much choice in any you of that. You kept your reaction. cool. Your reaction. That, that's all I can cool. say. Uh, I'm going to call I, Roger I, I'd, I'd the lone survivor. <laughs> he is a lone survivor of that. The uh, lone survivor. A seven pound freaking. Uh, Pterodactyl. Grape. What was it? What's that bird called? Western grape or Western something? Western grape. And maybe grape. that, it, like, I, and like I said, maybe that story does go to does go to show that a, a normal person can still be a pilot and be successful totally. at it. Yeah. And and not have to take a, a three hour round trip train ride by themselves across New York. Yeah. In high school. I, yeah. Well, that's I have, tenacity. I one, if I if I might if I might add, um, <laughs> these were at the time to- and, and look. For, for the younger listeners at the time, I didn't know I would, I would be here 
in 2020. I didn't know that we'd, ha- you know, I, I would end up starting a flight school. I didn't know that I would be a flight instructor right out of school. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know. And, and, and these weren't goals. It's not like I sat there sitting in bed at the age of uh, 10 uh, and, and saying, oh, well, I'm going to do this on December of 2020. And I would do this and I would do we that. We thank not you for all. your modesty. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 you just, you just, you take whatever opportunity comes up. I yeah. promise you, everybody, you, you, the four, the, the three gentlemen here, in addition to myself and all of you, you're going to have opportunities come up in life. They just happen. I didn't come from an aviation family. I didn't come from an aviation background, but the opportunities present themselves. Your, your objective at that point should be to take the opportunity and stretch it out. It's kind of like pizza dough. And that's not just an analogy because I'm from Brooklyn, New York, but you take the pizza dough and you stretch (laughs) it out as much as you can until it tears. That's what you, what everybody should be doing in anything in life. If you just do that and you take every opportunity, sometimes Someone would invite me out when, when I would be in, in middle school. They'd say, hey, come out to the airport. Uh, I'm flying my citation jet in. I'd be like, oh, I have to take a train three hours to go look at a citation jet. But 13-year-old me at the time was very excited to do that, and I wanted to do that. So I would do it. I would build a, a, a relationship. I'd make a new friend, and that friend down the line somehow uh, would end up uh, helping me. So that that's really what it is. Take every opportunity to make new friends, to make new mentors, accept the help, ask questions. It's okay. You might not agree with the answer and you don't have to take it to heart, but ask a lot of questions. And like I said earlier, I would ask questions, people would give me answers and I wouldn't necessarily implement, but I would use the knowledge and say, okay, well, maybe that was okay five years ago, but it's not okay now. So it's, it's just take every opportunity. And again, you, as Roger said, you don't have to do any of the stuff I did. You could very yeah. simply just go to a part 61 flight school, six months, you're out the door and you're building flight time and you're at an airline. Totally yeah, that's, fine too. That's all great advice. I said the same thing, you know, you will have those opportunities and that's pretty much what I did. Take the opportunities that you're given. And, you know, like you had said, go with your gut, go with, take those opportunities, go with your gut and just see them through. And and if you do those two kind of very basic principles, anybody out there um, can, I truly believe can become a pilot. Yeah, very true. And, you know, and Roger's relatively modest as well, because, you know, we don't really dive into what he's done other than the basic aviation stuff. But I mean, Roger's run the flight school and the, and the flight operations and, and, He's done it quite a bit. Uh, been a part owner in uh, what was it, Part Ninety One, uh, private or corporate style operation, and he's he's an investor. Roger is an investor. Don't don't let him kid you. Um, <laughs> so he's being modest too. Uh, but you know, Kareem, your your story is absolutely impressive and amazing. And yeah, and you guys are right. You don't have to climb the mountains that you have climbed and the opportunities you've seized to to be a part of this industry. But I think what's so wonderful about your story is that it is inspiring that you took that that grit, that New York grit and said, you know what? Yeah, that's a great opportunity. Uh, yeah, let me try that. And you know, and hey, and you put yourself out there and people see that. And that is, yep. I think, what has led to such success at a young age because you're in your twenties and you're like, I know people that are in their seventies getting ready to retire and have not accomplished as much as you have. So my hat's off to you. And that's, and that's really the whole point here is that we, we absolutely applaud you for your tenacity, your, your drive, because without those things, uh, you know, a lazy 
a lazy pilot that just likes to sit around and drink beer and eat chicken wings and and yeah, come on, Roger. No, uh, you know, they're going to like, well, I'll just show up, do my job because that's, you know, what they tell me to do. And I'm going to fly the plan. And it's not my job to do go the extra mile. Actually, it is. And the only person you hurt when you have that mentality is yourself because yep. you close those doors. And if, I, if I might add, um, the, the things that I've done in, in my life uh, were not necessarily to become an airline pilot. They're not limited to just aviation. Um, I have interests outside of aviation and I have many goals outside of aviation. All of these events that have taken place from middle school, high school have all just been experienced. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've burnt bridges. I've made those mistakes. I've lost friends. I've made those mistakes. And with every passing opportunity, with every passing experience, just comes more and more good knowledge, good experience, and very tough lessons to learn. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all of this has just been a, a life adventure for uh, for just overall just rounding myself as a person and, and, and my life and my career, even past aviation, well past aviation. We're going to hear more about Kareem's amazing journey right after the break. And welcome back to the show. Well, in the first half of these this episode, you know, we were talking to Kareem about his journey in aviation and how impressed we all are with how much he's accomplished at a very young age and how that uh, grit and determination and tenacity really has taken him very far. And what I'd like to dive into now, as we as we often do here on the on the broadcast, is talk to Kareem about his take on a lot of what's happening in the industry and, and really get a feel for what he thinks about the future of aviation and this incredible journey. So Kareem, what do you see as the biggest threat to our profession today? Um, I think uh, the threats have always been around. I mean, automation, um, pilotless cockpits, one pilot cockpit, all that's kind of, people have been talking about that forever and it might be within our career. It might be after us. I mean, nobody knows, but I think, what this pandemic did is it enlightened everybody and it uh, brought a lot of attention to the industry and it showed how uh, sensitive and uh, I guess nimble this industry can be. Um, and I think it's going to get a lot of people thinking about what now, what are we doing next? Obviously, uh, in order to cut costs, some airlines opted to furlough um, uh, in order to cut costs. And so uh, salaries are, are a big concern and uh, so on and so forth. So I think what this pandemic did is it brought a lot of attention to that. It's uh, educating us. It's uh, teaching us a lot. And it's also kind of catching everybody with their pants down a little bit, because even I think the, the managers and the executives at the airlines kind of are a little confused as to what to do next. Um, for instance, you look at some of the, the uh, airlines that did furlough, uh, now is demand starting to pick up for the holidays. Uh, airlines are canceling flights. They're short on pilots. They're short on flight attendants. So it really truly is a learning experience. We're going to navigate this. We're going to get through it. And hopefully for the future, we're going to have a better plan and a better 
uh, course of action to take because this one's kind of the, the, the one that's beating us up a little bit. Yeah. So, so really the biggest threat is where financially these airlines are going to end up after in the wake of this global pandemic that is, as we mentioned earlier, uh, one of the hardest hitting to this industry since 1974. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of, a new territory because even after 9-11, things were very different. And when a pilot tells me, well, you know, I got furloughed after 9-11 and I, and I survived just fine. It's like, well, this isn't 9-11. This, you know, this completely isn't different. This is completely new territory. Totally and, different dynamics. And we're in a different time as well. We're, we're in a time where technology and, div, and division, divisiveness in, in our government and in the world leaders is at an all time high. So we need to stick together, I think. Um, I think the way we combat this threat that we're dealing with is to stick together. You know, and at a time when, you know, just yesterday, Southwest Airlines uh, indicated that they sent out warn letters to close to 7,000 workers, of which um, I think it was around 1,200 were pilots. Um, this is monumental. Southwest has never furloughed yeah. in its history. So, how do we react? How do we come back from this? It's anybody's guess. We've been talking about this on the show for quite some time. Uh, we don't pretend to have that crystal ball. And I think anybody that does is really doing a great disservice to those of us that are paying close attention. Um, but thank you uh, for your response on that. You know, one thing that we've been talking about for quite some time, and maybe now is a good time to, to revisit it, is the question of, does the hub and spoke system of the regional airline industries in the U.S. still work? What are your thoughts? Um, I, I'd like to just go back 30 seconds and just touch on what you just said, um, uh, because I think this is important to know, as, as I indicated at the beginning of the podcast, in any business, in order to succeed, you've got to be the cheapest, the most unique. Uh, and David Nealman, the uh, CEO of JetBlue, the, uh, I guess, owner and uh, CEO of Azul and now Breeze Airways out of Salt Lake City, uh, is taking a huge risk and he's doing something very unique and something very uh, uh, different. Um, and I think that's needed. And what he's doing is he's creating this the first, um, uh, I guess, app-based airline. Everything is done via an app. Um, what that does is it reduces the overhead. There's very little overhead. There's very little um, ticket agents. I mean, you can just go on this app, you, you select what you're trying to do, blah, blah, blah. You show up to the airport, there's kiosks, you do everything yourself, you're on an airplane. Um, and what that's doing is it's cutting costs significantly, and it's doing something that no other airline has done. Um, that is the type of risk that is necessary. That's the type of innovation that's necessary, in my opinion, um, in 2020, because the airlines have been operating, essentially the wheel hasn't changed in forever and ever and ever. Yeah. Uh, and he's not necessarily reinventing the wheel, but he's modernizing and he's uh, essentially uh, uh, growing with the times. Um, some airlines, you know, you, you show up to any airport, every airline's got him. 
you run into a gate agent or a ticket agent that's having a bad day. Um, and what that does is that one person might essentially instill a bitter taste in a customer's mouth, and then they're bitter at the whole airline over one person. Uh, what I think Breeze Airways is doing is um, is eliminating all of that. It's eliminating cost with overhead, and it's modernizing. I think it's going to go uh, really, really well um, doing an app-based airline, and it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, uh, they could do very, very well, and they'll succeed, or they could do the complete opposite, and I guess we'll find out. But once uh, that does happen, I think the rest of the industry is going to have a, a very good indication on on what to do next and how to modernize and how to become tech-savvy, uh, yeah. if you would. That's so, neat, because I you think of like companies, obviously, like Amazon and like the Targets and the Walmarts, they have all, you know, are transitioned over to, you know, the uh, app-based, uh, you know, online you know, you buy it and you, it just shows up at your door or you can, you know, do a drive by and they put it in your trunk or even like buying a car, you know, like a car, if you guys have Carvana, um, or, you know, in your area, you know, that you just, it's at base, you buy the car online and then they'll either deliver it to your door or, you know, you go there with a, you know, for fun, you just put like a big coin in the machine and your car comes down at <laughs> down and it spits it out at the bottom of the, of the chute. And, uh, but yeah, that's interesting that uh, Breeze Airways, I think uh, they've got something there. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, if if they handle it right, they're going to definitely find some traction. And if not be just, you know, the leader, the innovator in, in, uh, in you know, the tech part of that, that the industry that way. Yeah, to touch on the hubs, I mean, they're, they're based out of Salt Lake City, but my understanding, the plan is they're just going to fly wherever they can and wherever they're, they're focusing on smaller cities, but they're not necessarily limiting themselves like several other airlines or the majority of the airlines. They're not necessarily only doing hub to hub or uh, touching on a, on a specific demographic or a specific uh, uh, area of the country. Mm. Um, they're just opening up their options. Uh, they're buying extended range aircraft. I assume that's an indication that eventually they'd like to do transatlantic or uh, whatever, but but that's good. They're, they're doing things that are very, very different. And again, you've got to take the risk. You've got to do something um, uh, kind of a little bit risky in your industry in order to see if it'll work. I mean, if you don't try it, you're never going to know. Yeah. I think the biggest uh, threat, not just to business in this industry, but also to the mindset of a professional aviator is to think that doing the same thing, the traditional, well, that's the way it's always been done. I think that comment is one of the most damaging comments any business in this country or in around the world can ever adopt. If you think, well, this is the way it's always been done, you're going to be left behind. And I didn't know about the Breeze Airways. It's very interesting. And I'll put a link in the show notes as well uh, yeah. to their website. Um, I, do, I do think you're absolutely right. You mentioned it earlier. You have to be first or cheapest or unique. And I think being unique means also being ahead of the game and keeping up with the times and technology and how it doubles every other year in, in capacity and, and it's only a matter of time before everything will be done off of our uh, probably a s embedded cell phone in our arm. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, that's great. Thank you for for that follow up yeah. as well. And I think I think that answers your also your last question um, in regards to just the way things have been done and uh, and whatnot. And uh, they're they're advertising the airline. I, I am not a spokesman for them. I know nothing about them. I'm just just the stuff that's on the internet. Um, but they're advertising that they're going to be the world's nicest airline. Um, that's actually what they say. And that's because 
uh, now you're dealing with robots in an app. There's an app for everything yeah. in today's world. That's crazy, right? There's an app for everything. Uh, for ordering suits, there's an app for coffee, for cars, as you said. There's an app for uh, taxis, car service, everything. Yeah. It's it's very convenient. Every, every, everybody's yeah. got one of these, and it's very convenient to just pop yeah. it up, say, oh, I need to go to yeah. L.A., I need to go to L.A. cheap. Yeah, and there's a meal too, and with yeah. reducing the overhead and doing this, I think that's going to work. It just seems like if the interface is user friendly, then then the users are going to love the company. I mean, yeah. you know, that's yeah. how it is with like the Alexa app or whatever. You know, you, Amazon. You, <laughs> oh, this is great. I love Amazon because it's that easy. Who doesn't you know? love Amazon? I mean, I know. I don't even shop saying. on. I don't even type anything in Google anymore. I, I nope. I'm looking for Go something. Everything from car parts to yeah. audio gear to exactly. pilot stuff. And if I, I can't find it on there, then I start looking at the other places. But still, right. yeah, you're right. If you like it, you like it. It's become more and more convenient. I mean, you get stuff shipped to you in a day. You yeah. know, sometimes the same day, like uh, living in, yeah, in, same in day. the DFW area where we have a warehouse down the, down the block. I'll, I'll literally swipe. Yeah. The order will be here sometimes at the same day. I'm like, all right, well, that's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. 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 You'll probably be <laughs> the first great. to get one of those drone deliveries because I live also. They're doing it already, uh, I believe. Ontario They're Airport's right down the street yeah. and the Amazon warehouse is huge <laughs> over yeah, there. Yeah. I'm crazy. waiting for that drone. I'll put in a helipad. I don't care, man. I want that drone to drop <laughs> stuff off. <laughs> Cool. It's impressive. It's yeah. certainly impressive. I'm excited yeah. to see the airline industry is going to have to make changes. We need changes. Now, the airline industry is very stubborn. All the industry has been doing over the last 20, 30 years is taking things away. That's all they've been doing. They haven't been evolving. They've been taking things away. They take away legroom. They take away meals. They take away uh, in-flight service. I mean, they, they take away whatever they take. They take away the screens, uh, the uh, the entertainment screens. It's going to be interesting to see how we're uh, we're going to evolve and change and do something unique as opposed to taking things away. Yeah, yeah, and it's going to take some real innovators to be up huh? there in you know in the top on the board to to really push for that because change does cost money, and yeah. when you're leading a company or an industry by the spreadsheet, it's not going to last very long. Um, yeah. so yeah, very true. Totally agree. What do you, uh, what do you think of these student pilots that are coming through being that you're involved, you have the flight school. Um, do you feel that students today are as prepared or as willing, uh, to do the work as students of days past? I think they are. I think anybody that has the flying bug is equally as motivated, uh, on their own level as any other pilot. Um, especially at the beginning. I mean, my level of motivation which was much higher when I was a student than it is right now, I would say. Um, but uh, And then you get there and then things change. Um, I think what I recommend for everybody, and I would say this maybe is a little bit controversial, but what I recommend for everybody is to focus your attention on other things in addition to flying. Get to the airlines, do it, get there. But please focus your, your attention on other things. A lot of people go to aviation colleges, right? When they get an aviation degree, and that's fine and dandy, and that's phenomenal. I personally didn't have that experience. I wish I would have had the experience, um, just to say I, I, I went that route, but I didn't. Instead, I focused my attention and I, uh, on other things, and I think that really pays off, especially today, especially with the way the airline industry is moving and, and how, uh, I guess, the future of aviation uh, is projected to be. I think it's important to have a backup plan. 
uh, not necessarily a backup plan, but to have other options to do other things on yeah. your days off. What are you doing? Uh, are you running a podcast? Are you running a successful YouTube channel? Are you running a business? Do you own a restaurant? It's good to have other options. It also keeps you uh, excited. It keeps you motivated and you don't get bored because no matter how much you love the job, we all love it. We all love flying. It gets a little boring sometimes. It has its moments like anything else. It's good to have other options. Yeah. Nice. You need balance, I think. And it doesn't matter yeah. just profession, but yep. in your life. Uh, I've learned this, still learning it today. You need balance. You need to have your time. You need to have the time you dedicate to family. You need the time you dedicate to your career and your growth. A lot of people forget about growth. They get stuck in a career because they know how to do it. And they sometimes even get stuck on an airplane because they go, well, I don't want to have to go to long-term ground school and learn something new. I've been on this airplane for years. I know what to do. I don't have to study when I go for my recurrent. Why am I going to make it hard on myself? Well, that puts people in kind of a rut and then they get stuck. And then when the opportunity diminishes and maybe that fleet's no longer there, and that's the only thing you've been flying for 10, 15 years. And now you got to go learn an all new airplane. That's extremely more technologically advanced than what you're used to it kind of makes it difficult for you. So always keep that balance in your life. I think you're absolutely right. You got to, you got to kind of look at other options and not put all your eggs in one basket, as they say. There, there's an old saying, and I'm a strong believer of it. The sky's the limit. Uh, what does that mean? We all have our goals. There's three pilots in this podcast right now, and we all had the goal to become airline pilots. And we did everything in our power three different paths, but we did everything in our power and we've all made it. The sky's the limit. Uh, and it's very easy to get distracted by one goal. You become an airline pilot, you're stuck there. You're happy with your fixed salary that does go up a little bit every year. You're happy with the one aircraft that you fly with your quality of life. And then it just plateaus and then you're done for life. I don't believe in that. I believe in uh, continuous growth. The yeah. sky's the limit. We're all capable everybody's capable of doing as much as possible and just continuing to grow. And I think everybody should have that goal. Yeah. We, I think we, we talk about this often when you're new on an aircraft. So you you come in, you're new on an aircraft, you maybe you came from some experience uh, from before and you're laser focused and you've got that tunnel vision and you got these horse blinders on and all you can do is look straight ahead at your goal. And as you get more experience, these blinders start to move back on your head and you get a little bit better wide angle view of what you are trying to accomplish. Um, and it's not until you really build a lot of that time and experience that you can kind of see the big picture. And once you see the big picture, you don't want to go back to that super focused tunnel vision view because you get comfortable. So, you know, like you're saying, I, I think it's important to always challenge yourself and move up, move forward and not get stagnant in a particular rut. So students that are coming through, you're saying that they're prepared, they're motivated. What is the biggest hurdle that you think a student in 2020 would come across? Um, probably job hunting. I'm, I'm speaking based off of, uh, today's date in December of 2020 right now, it's kind of difficult to find a job. Um, and I'm sure, uh, in maybe the corporate world and the smaller cargo world where there's no contracts or unions, uh, 
the pay might decrease a little bit, the benefits may decrease because there's an influx of pilots. That's going to change very, very quick in the upcoming months, I project with the vaccine and, and whatnot. Um, so with all that being said, I think the biggest challenge is to stay motivated. Uh, I can't tell you how many people, how many students have reached out to me and said, ah, maybe I should look at something else, or I'm probably not going to have a job for the next 10 years. Oh, that's not necessarily true. I, I wouldn't say that. Um, I, I will bounce back, but, but yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is to just stay motivated. I think that's, that's what most people are struggling with today. Um, getting a job and staying motivated because I know a few people, my best friend included, uh, that I, that I mentioned earlier, the Harvard grad, he went to Harvard. He has this insane economics degree. He's a helicopter pilot, commercial flight instructor, you name it. Um, and I got him a job with us. I referred him and he got a job and unfortunately COVID happened and he never started because they took that option away from him yeah. and he's still very motivated to try it. So it's, it's Good. keeping people like that motivated. So Kareem, you talked about the sky's the limit. You talked about, um, well, we talked about balance and obviously you have quite a, a journey with, you know, owning the flight school, and becoming an airline pilot. What does the future hold for Kareem? Where do you see yourself personally? Where do you see yourself professionally? Um, you know, do you have any uh, irons in the uh, <laughs> anything in the fire here that you're working on that that you'd uh, you know like to um, you know grow or anything like that? Yeah, um, I'm very cautious with that question. I'm happy to answer <laughs> it with it being a little vague. Um, I am working on quite a bit. Uh, I am working with uh, my folks, and they're also in business, and I'm working in their health. Uh, they're in the health industry. They're in the food business. They're in real estate oh. development. They're in quite quite a bit. Uh, wow. As a matter of fact, my right. mother and stepfather. Sounds like I know where you got all your inspiration from then, but keep I, going. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my mother and stepfather touched down in Dubai a few hours ago uh, working on wow. a project that I, that I came up with, and I'm very excited about that. Excellent. I'd like to share it eventually, wow. and I think it's – Eventually, we're going to share it publicly. Uh, but I am working on a, on a food industry project right now in Virginia. We're in the health industry and in the dietary supplement, uh, natural health industry as well. And I've worked on uh, rebranding one of their products and bringing it to you to the U.S. from Asia and from the Middle East. Um, and my true passion, I would say, is real estate. And there's a project that we're working on that I can hopefully share very soon, and that's going to be very exciting. Um, so. Uh, this is a tough, a tough thing, uh, because the question is, am I going to stay in the aviation industry? Am I going to retire in the aviation industry? Um, and I, I don't like bringing it up, but we brought it up. Uh, and, and it's good for people to, it's good for people to, to, to see that sometimes the plan deviates, the plans change, sure. uh, things yeah. change. And my answer is, I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to retire in the aviation industry. I don't think I'm going to be here forever. Uh, not because I hate it, not because I can't stand it. I love it. Love flying. The people are great. Everything's great. But there's other things that I enjoy, I think, a little more. And as these things materialize and as my plans progress and as opportunities come up, um, you start to kind of the same boat I was in when I when I left flight instructing to, to go to AmeriFly and then left AmeriFlight to open up a school, uh, you have to pick. At that point, yeah. you just have to pick. Otherwise, it becomes way too overwhelming. Um, I sleep very little as it is right now. And uh, <laughs> there's only enough hours in the day. So yeah, it's uh, it's tough. It's a tough thing. But there is a lot in store coming up. Yeah, And that's, that's part of the reason why we I started that YouTube channel. The YouTube channel isn't necessarily... Uh, 
um, going to be an aviation channel. It's more so going to be a business development channel. Uh, so the, the episode one, this is a very new thing. Vlog episode one is about how to start a flight school. And hopefully episodes two and onwards are going to be about other things as well. Oh, that's really amazing. Excellent. Yeah. Cool. Now we look forward to that and we will put a link in the show notes. Uh, Fantastic. So uh, circling back a little bit to, to your flying history, what's been the scariest moment at the controls and what did you learn? Emergency wise. Scary. Like, sure. Scary was probably upgrading the captain. Um, and it wasn't the day of, it wasn't the, oh, I'm sitting here in the seat and it's scary. It was the days leading up to the first flight as a captain. It was, uh, I call them captain nightmares. And I thought it was just me, but I talked to my other friends that upgraded and it seems like everybody had the captain. Nightmares. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, and, and All the ridiculous what if scenarios you put yourself in. Ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just unrealistic. I mean, the airplane's yeah. deformed and you're in a dream and weird things are happening. It's just insane. Yeah. Uh, but then you, you finally get there, you get over your first month, uh, you get over your first hundred hours where it seems like every possible emergency that'll happen happened in my first hundred hours. Um, and, and you get over it and, and then you realize it's like anything else, but scariest I would say was probably knowing that the upgrades coming and you, you, you finish training and you're waiting for IOE. That was a, a unique experience in time. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a hurdle for all of us that have gone through it and, uh, yeah. you know, and, and you got through it. Was it, when you look back, was it warranted? It, it wasn't worth the worrying. Uh, I think it, it just happened because you worked this hard your whole career in the aviation industry. In my case, I started flying in 2010 and it finally hits you and you're like, oh, it's here. Uh, and it's all on me now. And yeah. uh, I've had emergencies. I had my very first emergency and it was uh, a, a brace for impact type emergency. It was a very serious one within my first three months, I think instead of three months of when I upgraded, um, but handled it just fine. I had a phenomenal crew. We kept everybody I'm curious. so calm. What was it? Yeah. Now you share. Come on. It, 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 it was a dual, it was a dual brake fault situation and, uh, you, you follow. <laughs> I've got He's pictures left. of mine. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Left hand yeah. brake fault and the right hand brake fault. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So same yep. boat. And, uh, as you know, I don't know if, if it's the same airplane that you flew, but, uh, yeah. the, what the book only has, uh, details for one set. It doesn't have uh, a right. procedure for both sets. And what that tells you is you're probably going to go off the end of the runway. Now you have to use your, your thinking cap. Yeah. And, and you ask yourself, what's the likelihood of both of them actually failing at once? Probably low, but you have to treat it as if it's, that's uh, it. Yeah. That's yeah. it. It's the one. And you have, you have to treat it as if, uh, as if they, they both did in fact fail. So that was, that was one of those, but we kept the passengers and everybody in the crew yeah. so calm that they were still watching their movie when we yeah. landed. Uh, <laughs> and I, thought, I thought that was funny. Yeah. Don't yeah. interrupt my Netflix. The, damn it. The, the, yeah. the, flight attendant said, the flight attendant said, you kept them so calm. They were still watching their movies. I said, good. That's what we want. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. My, my, uh, uh, incident with that was, uh, I was, do, uh, I was, uh, conducting IOE with a new hire. And, um, I, I've, I've shared this story, Tony, um, on previous podcasts. And so that was uh, kind of a, a story in itself. But, um, I, if I remember going through the QRH for that particular fault, um, in at least the time that I was, I was, uh, um, flying aircraft, the, the the another procedure, the brake fail procedure, was right in the same general area, and it had the same um, 
uh, malfunction increments and same procedures as this break uh, break fault. So it seemed like they were saying, "Hey, you don't. We don't know if you're going to have any breaks at all, but you know. So make sure you do it. <laughs> you land on the longest runway and prepare to use the the emergency parking brake and the rest stress reversers and flaps and you know if you have parachutes and <laughs> anchors it you was, can throw out on the runway let's use those too <laughs> it it was truly it was it was really interesting and i remember on that flight for whatever reason we had an obnoxious amount of lap babies uh on the airplane and that was a concern <laughs> Yeah. That was a concern. Uh, I was like, we're going to have a bunch of meat missiles flying out. So we don't, nobody, nobody, uh, nobody really wants that. So that was a, a major concern. And, the event is no reflection on the airline or maintenance or anything. Yeah. It's just a, a thing with the airplane with that specific airplane. I yeah, mean, and, yeah. and it was just a goofy little indication. I mean, everything was fine at the end. And, uh, but it's, 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 that's one of the things it's, you all know, you have two captains here and, uh, you know that uh, when something happens, you follow the book, you do what you're trained, you use good judgment, and it all seems to work out at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Nice job. Very nice job. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. With your students, glass or steam gauges? I'm all steam gauge. I always have been. Yeah. Old school steam gauge. I still teach. I don't instruct anymore, but at the time I still taught VORs. I still, I mean, just steam gauge a hundred percent. You can go to glass when you get your commercial rating or when you become a flight instructor. I didn't touch a glass airplane until I became a flight instructor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. I I am a very huge uh, supporter of learning in the most basic aircraft, get your first 10 hours where there's not a single distraction other than airspeed, altitude, and coordination. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then work up from there and introduce a new uh, instrument as the student progresses. That's actually one of the things I used to have in my goodie bag is all those uh, little post-it uh, gauge covers. Yep. Yeah. And then you go, okay, this, these are the only in your scan today, this is the only three I want you to look at. Okay, you're you're doing really good. All right, now pull one of those off. Now you got four gauges to scan, and that didn't overwhelm people. And so the the fact that you got these flight schools and they're saying, oh, we have all glass cockpit. We have a, you know, the Cirrus aircraft fleet, one of the newest fleet. You could always pull the parachute and all this stuff. And the students like, oh wow, this is great. And then yeah. they go and get their private, and they're like, I'm a real pilot. And then they go. With a buddy that goes, hey, I got this old 1968 Baron. Let's go fly it. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. And then you get in the airplane. You're like, what the hell am I doing? It's, it's, <laughs> it's even it's even funnier when they go to an airline and they're put on an old airplane, and then they're like, yeah, you for know, your interview, where the airliner, where the airliner has less technology. Uh, uh, and uh, I, yeah. I do think that's hilarious. I used to. I was a, a hardcore flight instructor. I would say I would take my hand, put it on the student's forehead like this, and hold their head back. And I said, you can't look down. You can't look down. You're looking straight ahead outside the window for private students. I'd say you're not allowed to look down. And uh, that's how I instilled the 90% outside, 10% inside uh, Mm, thing with the students. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. So, you know, you have some experience and an appreciation for law enforcement. I appreciate that. Um, I, too, have a law enforcement family. um, And I know Rob has uh, an appreciation for law enforcement, firefighting, and our military. Absolutely. Would you consider an FFDO program? And for those listeners that are like, what's that? The Federal Flight Deck Officer 
which is a program started after 9-11. Um, and there's people out there, pilots that have been highly trained and authorized to be basically a federal law yeah, enforcement deputized. style while they're at the controls of an airplane in the event of some kind of event. Would you consider that? Yeah, uh, I think it's a, a great program. I think recently they've just declassified a lot of the details of the program, and uh, uh, it is uh, public information. And it's a great program. I think it's a necessary program. I'm glad that uh, the government took steps back then when they needed to in order to uh, to uh, ensure this program succeeds. As a matter of fact, uh, a friend of mine who's uh, over at one of the legacy cargo airlines is one of the people that pushed this through. He lost both his parents on 9-11, and he's an airline pilot, and uh, he's one of the reasons why that program exists. Uh, wow. So I'm a huge supporter of that program, and I think it's um, it's a great one for sure. Yeah. Now, I've <laughs> I've my best friend is uh, is a devout FFDO. It has been since yeah. forever. Um, has been trying to get me to do it. And uh, a lot of, somebody asked me the other day, what, what's FFDO? So I thought I'd throw it in there. So thank you for, for answering that. Sure. What's your favorite aviation film? <laughs> uh, probably Pushing 10 is a great one. Yes. It's actually the air traffic. Yeah. It, yeah. I Kevin think Costner. that's a great one. Mm -hmm. I think yep. that's a great movie, uh, Pushing 10. Uh, dare I say uh, Top Gun? Uh, I think, I think, you know, uh, I only like the intro at the beginning with the music. That's about it. That's uh, it. <laughs> I, think, I think, I think another one only because they did such a great job and the attention to detail, Sully, they did a really yeah, good job on I the agree. details. They, yeah. they were just, even the registration yeah. on the back of the airplane was accurate. The maintenance log, the checklists. I mean, they just did a good job. Yeah. Um, there was a slip up in the movie, in case you guys were wondering. I want to a put few. that out there. At the beginning, <laughs> at the beginning of the uh, of the film, there was a uh, new painted American Airlines plane sitting there, and at the time, the new American uh, uh, delivery, delivery wasn't wasn't, yeah. Yeah, wasn't a thing there yet. So I otherwise, they cool. did a great job. Yeah, yeah. And I, I saw a few interviews with Tom Hanks and 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 Sully together, and yeah, and it's interesting to hear you know how they were. They were very lucky. Um, yeah. you know, a lot of people go, Oh, is that, you know, is that real? Did that, I was like, yeah, they, they were very lucky that everything kind of fell into place. The dominoes fell where they did and no one was seriously injured. And, and thank God for that. Um, what's your favorite part of the job? Um, my favorite part of the job, um, the satisfaction that uh, I get when, when I see people, especially during the holidays where it's the toughest time for a pilot to be working because you're not with your family, but seeing other people united with their families, that's a very exciting one. And uh, meeting a very upbeat and excited crew that you can take out on a layover uh, where you can just not talk about flying, that we all forget that we're all coworkers and that we're on a work trip. And then we go out in Mexico or whatever, one of my best trips ever. Uh, I took the whole crew out and we had a four day Mexico trip, three different cities in Mexico. And we had a blast and I stayed in touch with that crew. We all went out on a boat on our days off and, uh, and, and it's just, cool. it's been a really good time. So I, I do enjoy going out on the layovers, uh, where, where it's just, you kind of just forget that we're in aviation and we don't talk about it yeah. and we just go out and have a really good time. So you don't nice. review approaches and, and 
procedures and go through your <laughs> operations manual on your layover? What are you talking about? I, I take I take the whole work, work, work thing very seriously. I'm like, nope, stop. I don't know what you're uh, talking about. Not allowed. Whoever whoever talks about work first has to buy the first round. That's my goal. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So uh, we kind of mentioned, uh, you know, Rob talked about where you're going to be in the future. Um, what about the immediate future? Where do you see yourself in, say, three years? I don't want to get myself into trouble. I don't know. That's a tough one. That really is a tough one. I, uh, um, I'm trying out a lot right now, a lot of new stuff that I haven't tried before. Um, I have great parents that are very supportive, that have a lot of experience. And uh, through a lot of trial and error and a lot of begging and a lot of proving myself, uh, I'm now starting to participate in a lot of other things. So that's a tough question. I really don't know where I'm going to be in three years. But you're but juggling again, a lot. I'm juggling a lot, but yeah. you know what? That's kind of how I, I've always lived my life. As I said earlier, uh, a little while ago, I, I, I don't sit there and say, oh, well, in 2020, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, blah, blah, blah. I just kind of take every opportunity and I go with the flow. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's a tough question, but but it's good. You don't want to fixate on a goal because if you fixate, that's when things fall apart. You become unmotivated and, and then things just fall uh, fall apart. You want to be flexible. You want to be fluid yeah. and you just, you got to evolve. Yeah. So nice. staying flexible is really, absolutely, is, is, is really the big key. believer, big yeah. believer. That's, that's been, a, staying flexible is the reason why I've succeeded at the things I've succeeded in. Because if one way doesn't work out, you try something else. If that doesn't work out, you try something. There's always a way to do something. Yeah. There's always a way. It's just having the discipline to say, okay, well, that didn't work. Let's move on. What's the common nice. misconception of our profession? And can you debunk it? misconception (laughs) (laughs) that's a tough one i don't know that's a new one for us that that (laughs) autopilot autopilot does everything that's not true the autopilot usually screws up everything and we're there i don't know that's a tough that really is a tough one that's a tough one um uh, maybe alcohol and drugs like you see in the movies that's not at all how it goes folks uh for people listening in uh that's that's false (laughs) (laughs) that's a tough question i'd have to get back to you at a later time when i figure it out myself yeah and and, um what's been your biggest failure so far and and what did you learn from it my biggest failure um has been being too naive oversharing details about my life with coworkers. I think there's a time and a place or podcasters um, or podcasters. That's right. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I still haven't learned my lesson. <laughs> no, I think, I think, um, uh, biggest failure has, has truly been, uh, just maybe not paying attention to how I'm portraying myself to other people and what other people might be interpreting when I speak or when I do something. So I've learned through many years of trial and error and mistakes and backfires that it's good to listen. You've got two ears for a reason. Listen before you speak. Um, so yeah, that's, that's caused several failures to answer your question, several failures. Um, and that's a good lesson. Yeah. Very good lesson. Um, you know, we, we talk about it all the time that pilots naturally have foot and mouth disease. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, you got to know your audience. I, I learned that lesson early on. I've been fortunate enough to have a partner in life that she keeps telling me, you know, know your audience. Um, you know, don't, don't, uh, have the conversation always circle around, you know, your goals and always listen and, and ask questions and, and all the things that have, I think, developed 
my ability to get along with a variety of different personalities. We used to ask a lot, you know, how do you deal with conflicting personalities in the cockpit? And we always were getting different answers from the people that we interviewed about, uh, you know, you just, you know, don't, don't sweat the people that don't rub the right way in terms of uh, meshing in your, in, in personality wise and, and just really appreciate those that you get along with. Um, and I think that all comes down to not them, but you and how you re- respond. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. I would have to agree. I would have to wholeheartedly agree with that. I, I can't tell you how many times, especially in New York, I was a very senior first officer and I flew with very senior captains at the time um, that were much, much older than I was probably old enough to be my grandparents in some cases. And, uh, they were rough around the edges at first. And what I would tell myself at the time is it's on me now. It's all on me. I have to make an effort to get these people out of their shell and have them trust me and know that I'm here to support them in order to do an effective and good job. Um, and I've succeeded many times at that. So sometimes when someone's rough around the edges, um, don't get discouraged and don't think that, uh, you're doing something wrong, but instead figure out how we can change that and how you can connect with that person. And you'll find that it's very easy to succeed at that. Absolutely. Very good. So Kareem, if you can go back in time just for a moment and whisper in your own ear as a younger self, what would you tell yourself? Uh, <laughs> yeah. First would, of all, look at him. He's already young, man. I don't know. He's probably know, talking like, himself right now. <laughs> it's like boss baby uh, over here. <laughs> I was like, oh, let me exactly. tell you about this uh, yeah. business venture I've got. I love it. <laughs> By the way, pick me up some sushi on the way back. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, if I could go back, I would whisper uh, to be patient, maybe slow down a little bit. Don't hit things as hard as I did in the past. Um, in my earlier years, getting into business for the first time, maybe to be more understanding and kinder uh, to people and, and, and understand that not everybody's motivation level is at the same level as, as mine. And everybody has their own interests and everybody has their own level of motivation for their specific job and task. So don't get overly excited because other people aren't performing the way you might perform because everybody's different and everyone's got different motivations. Um, and, um, another thing is another little piece of advice for me personally is, uh, when you do get to the airlines, um, keep to yourself, keep your head down, keep your nose clean and, uh, and, uh, listen more instead of talking more. That's always a good lesson in anything you do. Man, I wish I could learn that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. <laughs> you know? Oh man. It's yeah. like, uh, yeah, keep repeating the same. I'm like, Oh, so yeah. And, and the combination to the safe is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're not supposed to share this, but <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, sage advice, sage advice. Yeah. Totally. So, so last few questions, who has had the biggest impact in your career and why? That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, I would say the biggest impact of my career, of my aviation career, uh, was uh, thanks to a friend of mine. His name is Eddie. Uh, Eddie 
uh, has since left the airline I'm at now and has moved on to a legacy carrier. Unfortunately, he's furloughed now, and now he's flying cargo temporarily. But Eddie was uh, the one that really motivated me at the time to accept the job offer and to just try it. And had I not done that, I don't know where I'd be right now um, in terms of my aviation career. So he's probably had the, the largest bit of impact because of just saying, hey, just try it. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's amazing how the smallest connections, the smallest yeah. phrases and, and, and keywords can really affect a huge uh, change in, in one's path. That's yeah. great. And thank you for sharing that. Sure. Final question. What do you believe defines leadership? Um, Defining leadership, um, sometimes going against the tide. I think that's a big one. Just because somebody says something or that's the way things have always been done doesn't necessarily mean that's going to work now or that's going to work in every situation. Sticking with your gut, not being intimidated, not being pushed around because um, people might disagree. I think if you truly believe honestly, if you're honestly believing that what you're trying to do or what you're acting on is genuine and accurate, then stick with your gut because chances are, if you're less emotional than the other person, you're probably on track to doing the right thing. So maybe uh, keeping emotions out of, out of it is very important. Yeah. Great, great advice. Um, one of my favorite uh, books, self-help books that I is usually my go-to reading uh, is a book called Crucial Conversations. It's a phenomenal read, and it speaks exactly of what you just mentioned. Um, why do some people seem to get ahead in life? You know, and we we often put labels on things, and you know, say, oh, well, they were born with a silver spoon, or they're you know, they've got money. They come from money. That they come from talent, or they look a certain way, or and Truthfully, if you really dive into the psychology of what they may have over someone else is that they can recognize when a crucial conversation is happening in their life and they can stop, remove the emotion, take away the micro stories that we tell each other while we allegedly are listening to the situation, the other person, and remove the emotion and respond in kind with usually a question more than a statement. Yeah. And you got to ask yourself, not just what people are saying to you, but what their intent is and what they're trying to get across and where is this coming from? And once you learn these tools, that it opens up a world of relationships for, two, for yourself. Two little pieces of information and advice, things that have benefited me in the past in business outside of flying. First and foremost, listen to your people, listen to the employees, listen to your partners. Even in some cases, I think I've made decisions based off of what other people tell me, even if I don't 1,000, but because it's different when you're in a leadership position. In a leadership position, you can elect to listen to other people that might have a little more experience than you do. That does one of two things. If what they tell you to do is correct and you end up succeeding, then the team efforts there, you guys did a great job. If you fail because of what another person told you, then you have somebody to blame. And it looks a lot better to blame somebody than blame yourself in those instances <laughs> of leadership. So that's 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 one little piece uh, of nice. advice. So definitely listen and implement based off of other people's suggestions. Number two, 
in negotiating situations or in situations where there's a mutual benefit involved, it's really important to ask more questions because it gives you more information on the other person, which ends up actually benefiting you. So it's really important to ask someone right off the bat, what do you want? Tell me everything you want and everything you expect. And usually people overshare and they talk and talk and talk. And the more you get them talking, the more it benefits you because you've covered every avenue and you truly understand where they're coming from. And that just eliminates a lot of the manipulation. It eliminates a lot of the nonsense that's involved with going back and forth. Yeah, very true. So where can our listeners connect with you online and on the socials? Uh... Well, uh, probably uh, Instagram is a, is a very good one. I'm fairly active on there. So uh, at iFlyMetalBirds. Um, and uh, yeah, and maybe hopefully if this YouTube channel continues on and we have more content, uh, then hopefully on there. Okay, excellent. And cool. I'll, uh, with okay. your permission, I'll put uh, links in the show notes Absolutely. To, uh, to where they can find you. And of course, the Icarus Flight Academy website. Uh, I'll have a link to that as well. Yes, sir. All right. Absolutely. Well, if, you, if you're in the New York or tri-state area, stop by. We're always welcome to, uh, uh, anyone's welcome to stopping by for a tour at any of the locations. Cool. Excellent. Well, you know, it was an absolute pleasure to have this conversation with you today. I, I thank you for your time and your effort, your diligence, and the inspiration that you have uh, shared with all of our listeners, you know, how much you've accomplished. I expect to see some great things from you. So no pressure, um, be following you for, for some time to come. And I'm looking forward to hearing about the next adventure with you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I, uh, genuinely hope that, uh, by staying active on social media and doing these podcasts and uh, whatnot, that in a few years, people will walk up to me and say, Hey, uh, something you said or something you did on one of these podcasts and, and channels has really kept me motivated and it's uh, helped me make, make the right decision. That, that's what it's all about, my friend. That is what it's that's all right. about. Now, first of all, I, I just got to say, Kareem, it's been an honor and a pleasure to sit down and chat with you. You are quite an amazing individual. You got so many um, things going on and you seem to have it all just, you know, going in the right direction and, and, um, You've got a great future ahead of you. You're obviously a great pilot, great captain, and uh, we wish you all the best of luck in business and in, you know, your your airline and personal life. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Are you enjoying Squawk Ident Podcast? If you do and you find value in our podcast, we encourage you to visit our website at aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. From there, right on the homepage, you can find methods to contribute to the show by becoming a producer with either a one-time donation or recurrent contributions. Every little bit helps with our production and marketing expenses. You can also leave us some feedback either from the website or from your podcast player as well. You can view the many photos we've shared from the flight line. And under the guest book tab, you can view images of our featured guests that they've shared with us as well. Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube users can now find us under Squawk Ident Podcast. We encourage you to support our show on the YouTube channel with a like, subscribe, and share. And don't forget to select the bell to be notified for any new videos. In closing, I would like to say thank you so much for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there, be safe, and take care of each other. Bye, everyone. See ya. Have a good one.
Adios. It's been a great show. Thanks, Roger. All right. Take care. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs>